Hey, we want to welcome everybody uh, that's watching online. Thank you for watching. We want to welcome our uh, visitors as well that are watching from the Baldwin County Jail. We're so glad to have you with us today. That's right. Come on, we love you. Thank you for watching. This is morning on your tablet. And when you uh, have a time, we'd love to have you come visit with us here at Summit Church in Foley. Well, I, just, I don't know if you heard about the preacher that he was making his rounds in his parish on his bicycle. And he, <clears throat> coming down the street, he came across a little boy that was selling a lawnmower on the side of the, of the street. And so he stopped and he said, well, how much do you want for that little lawnmower, son? He said, well, uh, well I, I, I don't know. Um, I tell you what. I'll take a bicycle. I'm trying to sell it so I can get a bicycle. And uh, I see that you're on a bicycle. He said, uh, maybe I'll take your bicycle for the lawnmower. And uh, he said, can I ride your bicycle around? Try it out. And I, Would you go for it? He's the preacher said, well, I, I, that might be a good deal. So he did. He let the little boy try out his bicycle. He rode around. The little boy came back. He said, mister, he says, I like your bicycle. I think we should make a trade. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give you my lawnmower and you take my bicycle and the preacher said, oh, sounds good, sounds good. So, so the preacher went over the lawnmower and he started pulling on that crank and pulling on that crank, pulling on that lawnmower. It wouldn't start. He called a little boy over and said, hey, this lawnmower won't start, son. He said, well, it will if you cuss at it. <laughs> he said, well, son, I'm a, I'm a minister and, and, and I know Jesus and I, I, haven't, I haven't cussed for years. In fact, I, I don't even think I can remember how. Little boy said, well, you keep pulling on that crank and you'll remember real quick. <laughs> oh. I've had a lawnmower like that, my weed eaters and all that kind of stuff. I know what he's talking about. Oh, well. Well, we've been having a lot of fun in our little series called Characters, and it's lasted a lot longer than I thought it would. I just can't get out of it. We got into Daniel this past week, and I, I just had a lot of fun with Daniel. I don't feel we can go on without going back and revisiting Daniel a little bit. And, and uh, so I, I just want, want to review a couple points that we made. But, but before I, I do that, I just got to make a disclaimer. Last week, I made this statement. Sometimes, you know, when you're in this situation, uh, just things pop in your head and you don't think about them ahead of time. You just say them. You know, so I, it's a weird thing. And, and, uh, and you just have to leave, you know, believe the Lord is maybe in it and sometimes he's not, you know. And, uh, and so last week, I had this thought. I mean, I was making a point that 3% of the population as leaders make decisions for 97% of the population. And that for most of our lives, many of us are, are living uh, under the decisions that have been made for us by 3% of the population. I thought it was a very good point. It's a very valid point. And, and, and I had this little thought, like, because it just happened to me the day before, I was at Chick-fil-A, this girl was waiting on me and she's hot. And I said, how you doing? She goes, I'm hot and I'm bothered and I'm not having a good day. I said, how come? She goes, the Foley made us take our tent down. And so I made the point that a lot of decisions, even this little girl on the parking lot's having a bad day because of a decision that she didn't have nothing to do with. And so that was a, I thought it was a good point and fun. And um, until Monday, one of our city councilmen that are, is in this house, he, he went to the Foley department and he said, hey, I want to find out about this tent. Why did Foley make this, take Chick-fil-A make this, take the tent down? And uh, only, for the, <laughs> only for the guy that makes those decisions was also in this house that, was that, that day. <laughs> to inform me in a very Christ-like and very kind way, 
Foley didn't have anything to do with that decision. That was Chick-fil-A's decision. You got bad information from the young girl. And in fact, Chick-fil-A was the ones that took it down. They had permission to have a tent. They took it down on purpose because apparently they're going to put in a more permanent tent with fans and everything else going on inside. And so uh, they had to remove the old ones. So I stand corrected. I ask your apology and forgiveness for giving you bad information. And... A very embarrassing moment, but I, I thank you for loving me through it and um, apologize for that, for that misfortune and information. Well, Daniel chapter 6 out of the Message Bible, I think is a very powerful scripture. We want to read that this morning out of the Message Bible. We're talking about Darius, the king at the time, and Daniel's working underneath Darius. Daniel's second in command, and we'll see it here in a minute. And, and Darius is one of the most powerful men in the earth at that time, working under the Babylonian system. Babylon is the most powerful empire of the world at that time as well. And, and so here we have Daniel, if you would, the second or third man basically in charge of what's happening in all the world. And so Daniel's a very significant figure. And so so let's read it here. Darius, the king, reorganized his kingdom and appointed 120 governors to administer all parts of his realm. And over them were three vice regents, one of whom was Daniel. The governors reported to the vice regents who made sure that everything was in order for the king. But get this. But Daniel, brimming with spirit and intelligence, so completely outclassed the other vice regents and governors that the king decided to put him in charge of the whole kingdom. Oh, I love that. And so the vice regents and governors got together to find some old scandal or skeleton in Daniel's life that they could use against him, but they couldn't dig up anything. How many know that's a good life right there? That's a really good life. And I'm thankful that God you know, has forgiven all, uh, all the skeletons that we do have in the closets. Thank you. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. I'm thankful for that. And so they couldn't dig up anything. He was totally exemplary and trustworthy. And they could find no evidence of negligence or even misconduct. So they finally gave up and said, we're never going to find anything against this Daniel unless we can cook up something religious. And so the point we made last week is that the enemy longs to be in power and positions of power and will destroy every good person who stands in his way if it's possible to be in power. And that's why we pray for our leaders on a consistent basis because scripture tells us if, there, if there's a good righteous leadership in a, in a company or a family or a nation in the world, then the people are blessed and they're at peace and they have rest. And so we pray for our leaders that they will remain trustworthy and responsible and will make long-term decisions not based on short-term gains. Come on, somebody. And so uh, we, this has really been in my heart. Um, I'm typically, you know, all in, you know, let's preach about Jesus, about the Bible, and we do that all the time here. But recently, uh, my family, we took a trip up to Washington, D.C., and we were up in that area, and Melissa and I broke off and went up to Philadelphia, and we just kind of walked around through all the, the, the days of the beginnings of our country, and it was so so enriching to me and my wife and my family. And, and 
we got to experience a lot of things and we stayed right there in D.C. We went to the Capitol building and we, we prayed over the Capitol. We sat right in front of the Supreme Court um, building sat right in front of the doors and we prayed for the Supreme Court justices. And we, basically everywhere we went, we were just praying, you know, praying for God to touch and restore and, 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 and heal our land. And it was a wonderful time. But I noticed that while we were in D.C. itself, it was a very polarizing city. In fact, you know, it has its own mindset, kind of, the city does. And in fact, you know, everyone, not everyone, but a large majority of people that live there, they live there because they have an agenda, right? And they're trying to get around people that can move their agenda uh, forward. They have angles and they have conversations and they have coffee meetings and appointments with people because they're trying to move their agenda forward. And, and many times their agenda is not God's agenda. And in fact, we were going to, let's go have a coffee and a coffee. We were walking down to a coffee shop and there's two liberal protesters with, you know, posters in their hand, you know, uh, protesting some things that probably Jesus wouldn't be pleased with. And, and, and they're walking right in front of us and got their posters and everything. We, we're all in this coffee shop to get this kind of a whole different mindset. I, I, I said, I said uh, to uh, one of, uh, to, to Patrick, he was there. I said, you know, when, when you come to D.C., it's interesting because it's like, you know, everybody th thinks one way, but yet many parts of our nation don't think that way. And, and yet, if you're not careful, you can begin to think the way this little microcosm thinks. I, I, I don't know if I'm making any sense. And I said, I think maybe, I think maybe they should not have, you know, Congress, but they should all meet by Zoom or something like that so they can stay in touch with where they're living and what's going on at their, uh, you know, with their people. But, but anyway, it is, it is true in some ways that, and yet Daniel found that to be true as well. And Daniel's living in Babylon. It's a very heathenistic city. Polytheism is going on. There's everybody, everything's a god to those people. 43 temples uh, to all these different gods within this little city of a half a million people at the time. And, 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 and yet he's trying to hold on to his faith in God. And so what does he do? The Bible says that every day Daniel had a habit of going to his house and throwing open the windows of his second story floor house, throwing open the windows and looking towards Jerusalem and praying. And I was looking at that scripture and I felt like the Lord reminded me how important it is to remember your roots. Because if you don't remember your roots, you'll end up falling prey to every belief system that's all around you. And Daniel was one of the few people in Babylon at that time that believed in only one God, not 43 different gods or many gods. He, he believed in one God and he would go home three times a day for, now he's 80 years old at this point. This is something he'd been doing for, that's 27,000 sometimes, uh, I, I counted all, about 27 some thousand times he went and threw up in his windows and prayed towards the Lord, towards Jerusalem, remembering where he came from, remembering that there's only one God, there's not many gods, there's not many beliefs, there's not many value systems, there's only one. And I'm 
going to keep my focus on that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sway from that. I'm going to stay true to my north compass, which is Jesus Christ, which is God to him, Jesus Christ to us. And, and so he did that for his whole life. And, and as a result of that, come on, the, the God elevated him and gave him so much favor that he was like right up there next to the king himself and, and governing the whole nation because that's what happens when you live a life focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I don't make apologies for that, but there's something powerful about living for Jesus uh, that elevates your life and people can't find a skeleton. They can't, they can't, there's nothing about you that I, I can look at and accuse and go, you know, that's wrong and you shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that. No, your heart is pure. You love people and your life has purpose and you live in such a way that God just honors it and blesses it. And I, I, I think we, we should preach a sermon just called throw open the windows, you know, and we just need to throw open the windows and remind ourselves where we came from. In fact, I, I, I'm tempted to do a sermon where we just do that and, and we just talk about our roots as a, as a nation. Uh, but maybe we will, maybe we won't, I, I don't know, but we cannot forget where we came from and we cannot forget that in the hour where there's culture wars going on all around us and values are being challenged every time we turn around, that we have to remember what we stand for, what Christ stands for, and that we, 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 we don't tell everybody all the things that we're against, but we tell them all the things that we're for. You know, we could be spend all day talking about all the things we're against, but people want to hear what we're for, and we're for peace, and we're for love, and we're for righteousness, and we're for holiness, and you know, we're, we're for these, these we're, we're for caring for one another, we're for serving each other, we're for, we're for taking the back seat, let you have the front seat. These are the things we're for. We're for, we're for plundering the gates of hell and, 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 and filling heaven. We're, we're, we're for not beautiful buildings, but we're for building the kingdom of God. These are the things that we're for, and, and we got to speak up, and we got to talk, and we got to declare, and we got to let people know that we're a Christian, and we love God, and if the person you work with doesn't even know that you're saved, and you're a Christian, and you've been working there for a year, shame on you. I'm, I say that in a kind way, but our lives don't look like everybody else's life if you're truly following Jesus. And so we have to speak up, we have to share, we have to declare, this is the way, walk ye in it, as the Bible says. We were coming through the Holocaust Museum and man, it was just a very sobering experience in the, just going through that in Washington, D.C. And, and as I'm walking out, there's one last plaque that's there. And I read it and I walked out and I felt convicted of the Holy Spirit. Don't you walk out without taking a picture of that. And I went back and pulled out my phone and took a picture of this plaque. I want to put it up on the screen if I can. It was written by a, I think it was a Lutheran priest. It's talking about Hitler's days, when Hitler was coming up. For they came, first they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. I didn't speak out because I wasn't the trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. I didn't speak out. I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. <sighs> what does that tell me? It tells me that I can't sit 
quietly in my lazy boy chair and say, well, you know, I don't care what the world does. I know I love Jesus and, and that's all that's important. I'm going to go deer hunting. I'm going to sit in the stand. I'm going to love on God. Whatever happens in the world happens in the world. Eventually, they come for you and there's no one to speak for you because you've never made a voice. You've never made, you never, you never let anybody know the platform of Christ that you live for and you live on and what values really mean to you and your family, to your work. And so it's important as we revisit Daniel, the man, that we understand that he was in a, he was in a culture not similar to ours, it was way past what we're going through as a culture. He was challenged on every front, and yet he kept his life pure and right, and God used him. And so, let's talk about Daniel for just a second. He was, a, he was in a high place of government, and he was in a position of influence, and he was uh, in a place to make decisions that created uh, in a sense, um, a culture for a nation, for a, an empire, if you would. And we talked about last week, we referenced that there are seven different dimensions of our culture that we all are a part of, we all live in, we all experience on a daily basis. And if you would look at each part of that culture as a silo in itself, at the top of each one of those silos, or values or cultures is a leader or leaders. And whoever is leading from top of those silos or mountains, if you would, or spheres, is really what dictates what happens to everybody underneath, right? And so we talked about these, and so we don't really realize that sometimes I felt it was important to bring that up and, and point that out to you. In fact, Psalms chapter 78, verse 56 says this, talking about high places in the Bible. But they put God to the test. They rebelled against the Most High and they did not keep his statutes. And like their ancestors, they were disloyal, faithless, as unreliable as a faulty bow. And they angered him, who is him, God, with what? Their high places. Whoever rules from the top of these high spheres, these mountains, these high places, determines what happens with everybody else. So let's talk about really quickly the seven high places of our cultural influence. And these are things that you have to pray for on a consistent basis. Because as God gets involved in every one of these silos or these spheres, then, then what happens is the country begins to transform, the community does, your family does. And so we talked last week about government. That's the first one. Government is a, a silo, it's a, it's a sphere, it's a high place. And King, it says this, uh, Proverbs 29, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people are mourning. That's why they loved Daniel so much, because he was a righteous man. At least that's why the king did. And he, was get, and he got things done. We don't mention this, again, it's worth repeating, that when you get things done, people really don't care what you believe. As long as you're solving problems, they don't care what you believe. 
You can believe the pink, the moon is pink, or the, you know, the, the grass is, you know, uh, uh, purple. They don't care what you believe as long as you're getting things done. But, but after you start getting things done, people start asking questions. You know, what are you about anyway? Who, what, what, what drives your train? What's going on in your life? And, and that's how you begin to gain influence. People don't care what you believe as long as you're solving problems. Abraham Lincoln was classic in that. They came to him after, during the middle of the Civil War, and he, Abraham Lincoln was having a hard time finding generals that would, that would fight. They, he had great generals that were great organizers, but nobody would fight. Then finally, he hired uh, and appointed Ulysses S. Grant to be the head of the Union forces, the general of all generals. And they came to his cabinet, came to him and to Abraham Lincoln, and they, they said, this is a wrong decision. You made a bad decision. You need to get him out and put in another general. And Lincoln said, why? And they said, because he drinks. He's a drinker. And sometimes he's gotten drunk. We don't need a drinker leading our, our, our troops. And Abraham Lincoln said, well, you need to find out what he drinks and give it to everybody else that's in my army. Because at least he fights. People don't care what you believe as long as you get things done. And we need Christian leaders in all areas of government. We need Christian leaders to rise up and take their place. We, where are the, come on, where are the, the spiritual brave hearts, uh, the William Wallaces of our hour, which in fact she, that's a Scotland term. I did that just for you. Where are, where are the brave hearts of this hour? Where are, the, where are the William Wallaces that cry and gather God's people and rally them together? Where are the Patrick Henrys of the hour to say, give me liberty or give me death, give me Jesus or give me death? Come on, where are the Dietrich Bonhoeffers of the hour, which was a Lutheran priest who, 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 who rose up against Hitler while everybody else didn't say a word, but he challenged Hitler and it cost him his life. Uh, where are the Martin Luther King Juniors who rise up in the hour and say, I have a dream. I've been to a mountain and I see that things can be better than they are and we don't have to fall to this kind of system of belief that we're in. Where are the people that rise up like John Adams, the second president of the United States who said and wrote to his wife, I believe I've been called for such a time as this. Uh, it's an appointed hour and I have an appointed message and God's hands upon me. Where are the people that will rise up in this hour and say, you know what? Somebody's going to have to lead, so I might as well just step up to the challenge. Do we, do we have anybody in here that can say amen to that? Media. Media, we talked about that last week. It's another silo. It's another mountaintop. It's another high place in our society. Because the media drives the, the conversation. They're the ones that determine the narrative and what we're going to talk about, what we're not going to talk about. It's the media that de declares what kind of a belief system a society is going to embrace. And they hammer it and hammer it and hammer it and hammer it until finally you're so numb to it, you're just like, okay, whatever, so we'll just go along with it. It's the... It's, 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 the, it's the silo that, that, that Jesus needs to be a part of. That, that needs, the, the thing that needs to be coming from the media is, you know, you know, Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. People don't even understand, but Billy Graham got his start in Los Angeles, California. He was preaching a little tent, a little tiny little tent meeting downtown in Los Angeles, and a guy by the name of Hearst went to one of his meetings who happened to own 
the, all the newspapers in Los Angeles and many across the country. And Hearst came home from that meeting with that, where he went and heard Billy Graham preach and he sent a telegram to all of his papers, the editors of his papers, and he said two words, push Graham. And Graham, from that point on, Graham was just the talk of the nation and he got his start from a newspaper publisher who pushed him. We wouldn't even probably know who Billy Graham was had it not been for a heathen man named Hearst who happened to go to a tent and kind of liked what he had to hear, didn't really give his heart to the Lord, but he liked what he had to say and he pushed him. It's the media that drives who we listen to and who we don't listen to. We need, we need some people, in the, you know, in the, some Christian reporters and Christian news investigators and Christian journalists and Christian social media platforms. This is, this is, what, is what's going to change the narrative of our country. Number three, now we're moving to new territory this morning. Third, third silo, arts and entertainment. TVs, movies, video games, and magazines, and books, and sports, and entertainment. It's an important part of our lives. And they influence our view as well on sex, and marriage, and family, and politics. And they instill within us many times fear or hate or violence or lust or sin or faith and love and kindness, generosity, hope and life. It's all driven by this one silo. It will be probably in about a month. My wife will turn the television on and we'll be watching Hallmark movies every night. Some of you have already started. You haven't stopped. You've been doing it all year long. Why? Why? Because we love to see things that fill our hearts with love and kindness and compassion. And we, we, we're, we need to subscribe to things like Pure Flix. It's a Christian television you know, movies you can watch and we need to push and help, you know, people um, um, like The Chosen, the movie series The Chosen. You need to, you need to watch that. Uh, you, in fact, you need to download, it's an app. You can watch the first two seasons. You need to watch it. It'll, it'll really impact the way you see Jesus and his disciples. It's very well done. It's something that's very thought-provoking. We need, to, we need to push people. We need to go see Christian movies and we need to push people to help people out that are trying. There's Rona Downey and her husband, out there trying to produce Christian films. And you got, you know, the two brothers over in Atlanta with Courageous and, and uh, some other movies. Man, we, they're doing, man, we just need to push them. We need to get behind them. We need to celebrate them. We need to champion their cause. And we need to, come on, it's, 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 it's the Christian's platform. And then there's the fourth one. And that's business. Without finances, then all the other mountains stay small. It is the business, it's the money, it's the business Wall Street, it's, it's the business owners that, that drives all these other values and viewpoints. And so what we need to pray for is God raise up more Christian businessmen and CEOs. In fact, if you're a CEO or if you are a Christian businessman and you have your own company, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Even if you have no employees or one employee uh, or you have 15, stand to your feet. Come on, come on, all across the room. Amen, come on, come on, stand up. Awesome, stay, stay standing. Don't sit down, thank you. Don't sit down. 
You're amazing people. Thank you. Don't sit down. I want to, we want to, no, don't sit down, please. We want to just say a prayer. Stand back up because you're important. Come on, you're, you're important to us. We want to pray for you and we want to bless you. And so if there's someone near you, standing next to you, I just want you to reach over and put your hand on their shoulder or, or, or whatever, their arm. And uh, we're just going to, and if you're around them, just point your hand towards them and stretch your hand of faith towards them. Father God, we thank you for these business owners and leaders in our community. And we pray, Lord God, you will unleash the blessing of heaven upon their businesses. We pray the favor of heaven upon their lives. We ask, Lord God, that every decision be so simple to make because you're leading them with your wisdom. We pray, Lord God, that the windows of heaven open upon them. I pray, we pray, Lord, for good um, employees. We pray, Father, for employees that will work hard and will, Lord, really love you. We pray for a culture in their companies that, Lord, causes your name to become great. And, and we thank you for these people. We thank you for the blessing upon their lives. And we give you the thanks for leading them forward in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. Come on, give it one more hand. Appreciate you guys. All of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so the fifth silo, the fifth mountaintop would be education. Education. One of the pastors we were with at the retreat this past week, he was just praying. As he was praying, he shared, you know how you kind of pray and you go, Lord, I remember when, you know? And he did one of these kind of, Lord, I remember when. I was in fifth grade. And I didn't know God. My parents didn't know God. I knew nothing about the Lord. Didn't even know, God, you existed. But as he's praying, he says, but I remember in the fifth grade, my teacher at school looked at me one day and said, son, you have such a great voice when you speak. You should consider being a preacher one day. He said, Lord, I remember that. And it was a seed in my heart that you planted through my fifth grade Southern Baptist Sunday school teacher, teacher in my public school classroom that I never forgot. Thank you for using my teacher. Yeah. Another pastor was there. He prayed. And then, and then after we got done praying, he, he said, you know, I shouldn't even be here. He said, my dad died when I was young. And my mom, she was single with three of us kids. And, and uh, she worked hard. She worked several jobs trying to just keep food on the table. And when summertime would come, she would ship me off to my aunt's house for the summer just to give her a break. And, and so I would spend the summers with my aunts. He goes, I didn't know nothing about God. My mom didn't tell me nothing about God. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know nothing. But my aunt... <clears throat> would take me to this little country church every Sunday in the summertime. And she was the Sunday school teacher for the kids my age. They said, you know what? I was the only one in the class. She taught me about Jesus, but he said what was different about her was she prepared for my class with her. Basically, it was a tutoring session 
but she prepared as if there was 100 people in the classroom. She said, we, she could have said, okay, uh, honey, just call her for, you know, the next hour or so for Sunday school. We'll call her good. We'll go into the service. He said, no, no, no. She, she studied. She prepared. She taught me. She dug into the word. She told me stories. She laid it all out. She gave me the background of the stories. She challenged my faith. She introduced me to Jesus Christ. And it hadn't been for my Sunday school teacher, my aunt, who became my Sunday school teacher on Sunday mornings, I wouldn't be here today. She led me to Jesus. I'm telling you, Satan is after our children. We've been reading the headlines of Loudoun County up in Virginia. How, And some of you probably know more about this than even I, but some of the books that they've allowed into the elementary school absolutely embarrasses me to even look at. Some of the pages I looked, I saw them yesterday, I'm like, I cannot believe I wouldn't even, I would, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed even to look at this. And children are reading this in our public school systems and being told that's okay. The Bible was the main textbook used by all of our children at the beginning of our nation. When they decided as the beginning of our nation to teach our children how to read, they chose the Bible to be the textbook. In fact, the Bible was the first textbook ever printed by Congress in the history of the United States. They printed a Bible. That was the first thing they decided they were gonna print was a Bible. <laughs> uh, we were standing there on the street in Philadelphia underneath the sign that said, this is where the first Bible was printed. Our children were given in the early days of our country what they called the New England Primer, which was a book of the ABCs of the alphabet. And every, every letter of the alphabet started with a, spirit, a scripture verse or a person in the Bible. A stands for Adam and Eve. And it went on from there. And they were taught this up until the 1940s. They used the New England Primer to teach our children about the ABCs. All from scripture. But tragically, in 1963, they decided to take the Bible out of the school. Previously, the year before, 1962, I want to show you a picture. 1962, they decided to take prayer out of the school. This is the way we typically started school Bef in, up until 1962. We have a moment, we bow our heads, we fold our hands, and we pray to God. What am I doing? I'm opening up the windows like Daniel, and I'm taking you back to where our roots are. The very next year, 1963, they said, well, we're taking the prayer out, so now we're gonna take the Bible out of school as well. And so we took the Bible out of school. Can't have a Bible. We, we would read a scripture verse every day before school started. Can I remind you, it was Abraham Lincoln who said this. He says, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good of the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this one book. George Washington would say, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. This is our roots. This is why America ascended to such greatness. Because God was at the forefront of our education and of our minds and our government. 
So this ended when they took this prayer and they took the Bible out of school. What they did, it was it ended for good our claim to be a society that was based on Judeo-Christian values. Because, you see, the Bible was always the absolute. If you didn't know right from wrong, you just always go to the Bible. You put your hand on the Bible, raise your, your, your hand, and you say, so help me God. This is the truth. Everything I'm going to say to you is the truth based upon the Word of God. So let's just take the Word of God out. And so what we'll make is truth is whatever you want it to believe. We'll call it relative truth. Whatever the situation is, it's, it's relative. It could move from different times, different places. And so now we have a country that doesn't have an absolute because we took the Word of God out. I, they did some studies and found a, an educational expert named William James did, an ex, uh, did a study about uh, education prior to 1962, removing of the Bible. And they found the top five complaints of teachers prior to 1962 was talking, chewing gum, making noise, running in the halls, and getting out of turn in the line. You read that and go, wow. How many teachers do we have in the house? You read that, don't you wish you had that problem? Since 1963, now these are the type, type, top five complaints of teachers. Rape, robbery, assault, burglary, and arson. James went on to say that there have been five negative developments in our nation's public schools since 1963. The academic achievements have plummeted, including the SAT scores. We're not getting smarter, we're getting dumber. Increased rate of out-of-wedlock births, increased rate of illegal drug use, increase of juvenile crime, and a deterioration of school behavior. See, that's what happens when you take God out of a situation. Yeah. I like that quote that somebody said, you, you know, God, why is this happening in our schools? Why is this happening? Why? And God says, don't ask me. You took me out in 1962. 70% of educators, they believe, are unbelievers. 70%. And they make up only 8% of our population. But they're driving what we believe and what we value. The Ivy League schools, I've been there, I've been to Harvard, I looked at the front walls, the, the, the stone gate of, of Harvard, and uh, along with other Ivy League schools. And on the wall, on the gate, described in Harvard, even right now, you can go there, I can take you right there. It says, this institution was founded for the propagation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ here and abroad. And at that time, we're... Anyway, it's not that way anymore. The Ivy League schools are known to be where smart people go, but they don't know God. The, last, the sixth and almost done silo, if you would, of, of our society is religion. The fight for truth. First Corinthians 13 says, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth. What does truth do? Truth, truth doesn't sit in a corner. Truth doesn't sit on the uh, sidelines and let people destroy themselves. Truth doesn't idly sit by and let cancer eat up a society, but truth has a voice. And what does truth do? Truth speaks. 
And that's what God does through this. And through our relationship with him, he begins to reveal to us what is true. And when we know what is true, we speak. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 27, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. In other words, truth will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And John 8, 32, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Uh, we tell people the truth because we want to see them set free. So we need to pray. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray that the greatest revival and move of God and the greatest awakening that America's ever experienced will begin to happen on our watch. We need to pray for those things. This is what we pray for. George Whitfield, when he, he came during the, one of the great, we've had two great awakenings in our nation's history. And when George, George Whitfield was behind one of them, and, the, and Benjamin Franklin would go to hear George Whitfield preach in Boston. And when he went to hear George Whitfield preach in the, George Whitfield's last message he ever preached in Boston, Benjamin Franklin said there were more people at his, hearing his message than there were living in the entire city of Boston. And he could speak without an amplification system to, they, they said, up to 40,000 people without an amplification system. God had gifted him some pipes that you wouldn't believe. And it resonated throughout the entire East Coast and people began to run to the cross and run to Jesus and came and heathens, people that didn't know God, atheists, deists, people that didn't, didn't even believe in anything about God began to find themselves convicted by the Lord. And if he did it then, if he did it in the first awakening through Jonathan Edwards, if he did it in the second awakening through Whitfield, can he not do it again? Can God, cannot God awaken our country, our nation, our people again? Yes, yes, and yes, he can. So that's why we pray for a strong church. The stronger the church, the, even, even the king of England the, during the Revolutionary War said, I would have won the war, and this is his own words, I would have won the war had it not been for the Black Robe Regiment. The Black Robe Regiment was the clergy of the New England colonies. It was a strong church. It was the pastors that were preaching thundering messages about the fact that we were not to live life oppressed. And he said, I would have won the war had it not been for the preachers in the daggum churches in that area. It probably would have been true. The church is powerful if it's talking. It's very weak if it's silent. In our last, in our last silo, if you would, of every community and every society, obviously is the family. Ronald Reagan said, if, if the family goes, so goes our civilization. And now we're having conversations of what do we call a woman? Well, we'll call them baby makers. Can't call them a woman. As the family goes, so goes our society. Mother Teresa said it like this. If you want to change the world, let's put that up on the screen. If you want to change the world, go home and love your family. That, that, that hurts, doesn't it? Come on. Just go love your family if you want to change the world. 
So we need to pray. We need to pray for the marriages between one man and one woman remains our nation's foundation. We need to pray that marriages are healed and strengthened. We need to pray that men will rise up and lead their home. We need to pray that spiritual warfare will be made in behalf of the families and that we will stand for the unborn. That we will stand for the unborn. And we need to pray against family curses and loose blessing upon our children and future generations. As the family goes, so goes our civilization. So as we close this morning, I, I want to do this. If you are an educator in our, let's all stand, let's do that, let's stand first. If you're, if you're an educator, if you're a teacher, if you are a, a coach, uh, if you're a librarian, even if you're a bus driver, if you work with young people in the public school system or even the Christian school systems, whatever it is, I want you to come and stand here at the front. We want to pray for you this morning. Yeah, we want to pray for you. Amen. An awesome one right here. Yeah. Praise God. These are great people right here. We're thankful to have them teaching our kids. Yeah. Amen. Wow. Yeah. Incredible, credible group of people. It's wonderful. Now, you know what I'm going to ask? I'm going to ask, Kate, I'm going to ask you and our students to stand behind them and put your hand on their shoulder. All right? If you're a young person in school, if you're a young person in school or a youth leader here in the house, I want you to find one of these teachers. I want you to put your hand on them. Amen. Come on. Awesome. Yeah, come on. Come on. Yeah. These educators, they, they need the hand of God upon their life. They're in a very touchy situation. And I guarantee you, every single one of them here would love just a chance just to tell all the students what they really think about Jesus. But they have to be very selective, very careful about how they go about it. But I know some of them enough to know this, that they, they're undercover agents for Jesus, man, in the school system. And God's used them in a great way. Amen. He is. I'm thankful for them. So while you're standing there, would you stretch your hands out towards these wonderful people here? Young people standing behind your teachers, I want you to pray your best prayer over the, that person that you're touching. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for these educators, these teachers, some, Lord God, teaching kindergarten, some art, some coaches, some ROTC, some driver's ed. Father, we thank you for every influence that they have. We thank you for every conversation that they have. We thank you for the moments that you give them in front of young people's lives and that they, Lord, are an example of what a young person should be. I thank you, Lord God, that you fill them with hope for another generation. And I thank you, Lord God, that they teach more than logistics or math or English or, or language, uh, but Lord, they teach Lord Jesus. Uh, they show Jesus. They model Jesus. Jesus. Uh, they give hope and life. Uh, and Lord God, they come and they mend the hearts uh, and the hurts of the kids uh, that they're uh, over. I thank you that you're giving
give them wisdom and a platform. We pray that you'll elevate them in the school system. We pray that they will take their positions, Lord God, and, and a, that they didn't even see coming, and that you will give them a platform to speak, not just to other students, but to teachers as well. Their own peers will look at them, and they will pull them aside and say, what is the reason of the hope that you have? What is the reason behind the love that you have? Oh, will you, will you pray for me? Pray, Lord God, we'll have little coffee, lunch conversations with other teachers, and Lord, you will bring even a revival to our educational system that we will have in Baldwin County, the greatest move of your spirit in every school, Lord, from Foley to Gold Shores to Robertsdale to Lord Magnolia's Bay, Alberta, Lord, wherever they're at, Lord, you will prove upon these students and these children and these teachers in the name of Jesus, we say thank you, thank you, thank you, and amen, and amen, yeah. Yeah. Now, teachers, I want you to turn around and face that student that put their hand on you. And I want you to put your hands on them. And I want you to pray for them. Would you do that? Come on, put your hands on that student. Just pray for that student in front of you. Father God, thank you for this young man, this young woman. Thank you, Lord, that your hand's upon them. And Lord, that you have a, a call in their life for greatness in the name of Jesus. God, don't let them submit to peer pressure, causing to rise above, Lord God, the tide of our culture. Let it be young Daniels in their classroom. And let it be Daniels in their peer groups. And, Lord, elevate them in this hour, Father. Give them boldness. God, oh God, come on, church. God, help. Come on, pray for our young people this morning. God, give them boldness. Give them boldness, Lord, like a lion, that they would roar down the halls of that school and they would declare that Jesus is good and Jesus is Lord, that they would not be embarrassed or ashamed, but they would carry their faith, Lord, with the pride that you give us to know you and to love you God thank you for that Lord thank you for that Lord thank you thank you for that in Jesus name amen and amen can you give God a praise for that thank you thank you teachers thank you yeah just stay right where you're at if you don't mind if you're a here and you are a if you're a father in the house if you're a father in the house and you're leading a family I want you to step out of your seat. I want you to come to the front as well. Just kind of move past these incredible educators and, and students and just, we're gonna pray for you as well. Your fathers, fathers in the house, your leading, your leaders. Your leaders. Your leaders. My gosh, look at all the fathers in the house. We're blessed, church. We're blessed to have this many men in the house. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Wow. There's a movie that just came out. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Help me out. Um, somebody, Lord Melissa, we went and saw it, but it was put out by the courageous, the two brothers recently. Yeah, the Kendrick Brothers is a movie. It's about fatherhood. We're going to try to show it maybe next Father's Day, but 
If you get a chance to see it, fathers, you need to see this movie. It, I, I sat there, I'm listen, when the movie's over, all the credits are running, she's like, you ready? I'm like, you're gonna have to give me a moment. I got, I got, I gotta have a moment with Jesus. It's challenging you to be a father and to be a father like God. I'll tell you what, I, I know some of you here, if you could do it all over, probably wouldn't do it the way you've done it. And I know the enemy probably comes and beats you up over that from time to time. He tries to diminish your influence and tries to tell you that you're a failure and you miss the mark. But can I tell you that it's never too late to pick up where you left off. And your children, believe it or not, they may even never tell you that or even show it to you. But, but God put it in every child's heart. They long for the touch and the voice of a father. They may cuss you at your face and walk away, but in their heart, I promise I'm telling you the truth, in their heart, they still believe that the greatest thing in the world would be to be loved by my father. And so we're praying for you because statistics prove it to us. A young person comes to Jesus and 20% chance the rest of the family may come to know Jesus. The woman, the wife, the mother comes to know Jesus, maybe a 60% chance that the rest of the family will come to know Jesus. But if the father comes to Jesus and leads, this, and leads the family, 90% of the rest of the family will come to Jesus as well. Yeah. And so you got a bullseye on your back. And the enemy wants to take you out. He wants you to fail. He wants you to blow it, and you will. And you will say and admit to your family, hey, I blew it here, will you forgive me? And they will forgive you, and they will respect you, and you'll keep leading the family forward. Because that's what you do. You're a leader. So again, for everyone else, would you stretch your hands out towards these men? If you're close to one of these men, maybe put your hand on them. Would you do that? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for these wonderful men, these fathers. I ask, Lord, today that they will lead. They will lead their families. They will lead our nation, our community in a righteous way. They will teach their children your word. They will read scripture to their family. They will have an altar for their family. They will sit, they will pray together. They will talk about you on vacation. They will, family will watch their dad follow God. And they will match their lives to match their dads. We come against the enemy that would try to take them out. We come against the enemy that would try to remind some of them that you've let the family down, you've failed miserably, and you have no place to be called dad or father in their lives. And Father, we know that's not true. And so we rebuke that lie today in Jesus' name. We call these men out into godliness and holiness. And we say that there's always a new day. There's always a, another challenge. And we say thank you for that. We love you. We bless you in Jesus' name.
Amen. And amen. Amen. Give it up for the fathers. Don't move. Give it up for the fathers. And lastly, lastly, as we get ready to dismiss, I feel led to pray one more thing. And, and listen, we will... We'll have communion over there, stuff for if you want to take communion. We have a wonderful time to take communion. If anybody wants to do that before you leave. But I, I just feel what, it would be remiss for us to leave without praying for our country. I, I, there's no election going on. There's no reason, motive for us to even be talking about any of this. It just kind of happened to fall in line with what Daniel's about. And so I, can we just pray for our country for just a moment? One more time, one more prayer. Father, we thank you for this great... United States of America that you literally dug up out of the dirt supernaturally and you birthed it and you put it in the hearts of our forefathers years ago to establish a nation that you were a part of to establish a nation that loved one another but also loved you and so Lord God we we remind ourselves of that. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to keep your hand upon our nation. You'll forgive us of our sins. We repent, Lord God. In some ways, we've lost you. In some ways, Lord God, we've kicked you out of the public arena. But we say, Lord, remember the Daniels and the Shadrachs and the Meshachs, the Abednegoes. Remember the Esthers, remember the Ruths, the Leahs of this hour. Lord God, remember your church. Listen to our pleas and listen to our cries and bring revival and awakening into our nation from sea to shining sea. Cause our land to breathe again with the breath of renewal and a spiritual fire and hunger that she hasn't had for decades. We say thank you for that, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.